Los Angeles, blah, blah, blah. Coming to you from the Kia Mobile Studios, <laughs> which would be my car. Uh, coming back from therapy. Ooh, today's was hard. It was about self-esteem. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo, yuck. She knew I was going to dread it, too, because she tried to warn me a couple of weeks ahead of time. It was very, very enlightening, though, but quite emotional. It's a really kind of a thing where, like, for me, I mean, I'm taking a look inside of the dark spaces in my head that I've never opened the door to. Like, never. Like, maybe I suspected that that was what was going on. I'll give you a good example. So we're talking about self-esteem and past relationships and how, you know, that I, I realized that I can't really compare my now to my, to me now to me then because I'm a completely different person. And so in all those toxic, unhealthy relationships, I can't really say that that's how an, any future relationship is going to be because I don't know. And because I've never been in a healthy relationship. So I don't even know what that looks like really. So I can't really count myself out, you know. And um, another thing, I was talking to one of my besties last night. uh, And we were talking about, you know, people in relationships and past relationships. And um, I I, I told her, I was telling her about uh, an example of, so I was talking to one of my exes. And I was asking if he had a certain picture of me or a picture of me with, with when my hair was dark blue. And he was like, PG or X-rated? And I was like, okay, so he's married with a kid. I'm like, so why do you still have X-rated pictures of me? Like, I mean, look, we broke up in 2016. Yeah, so um, what? And and he broke up with me so to, to, and cheated on me and all that other stuff. <clears throat> um, so I'm just so confused, like... And then it made me really, really suspect about all men and the things that they hold on to sexual, sexually, sexual-wise or whatever, however you want to say that, uh, as far as, you know, like from exes and stuff. And then I'm just like, I'm never, ever getting into another relationship. Like, never. Not happening. Not ever. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's... I don't really think it's my insecurities. I think it's just that I've been proven... That's been proven to me more times than one by more than one person on numerous occasions, you know, throughout the years. Like, it's not it's not a question of if they're going to hold on to stuff. It's a question of where are they going to stash it and hide it from who they're currently with. And I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Like, I don't... I don't know. And maybe I'm looking at it all wrong because I'm not a man and I hear, you know, that a lot of the sexual thing is is basically just a physical thing for them and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. But I don't understand how, if you've been in a relationship with that person, how you can hold on to that and that be true. Because there's always going to be some coulda, woulda, shouldas on every side, you know? I mean, and I can, I know that for a fact because several of my exes have asked me, what happened with us? What do you mean what happened with us? You cheated on me. You broke up with me. You did this, you know. I mean, I was trying to do what I could do. Whatever. You know, it's easy to play the blame game after the fact, right? So that brings me to point number two. Point number two is that, you know, that I I feel like, and, and my therapist agrees, that I, apparently I would look for people just as broken as me, but in the same manner. 
And so whenever, whenever you know, if things would get rough, and I would be, you know, it would, it would appear that I'm <clears throat> in it for the long haul, and I really was at the time. But subconsciously, the more you hurt me, the 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 meaner I get in a in a in a antagonistic situation, like a fight or something. You know, I'm gonna pull out all the stuff. At first, I'm just gonna cry and. You know, I can't believe you would act like this. Blah, blah, blah. You know, the, and the longer, the, the more fights we have, the shittier I'm gonna get. You know, with you, and that's because you keep hurting me, keep hurting me, and I'm just, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna break up. I'm just gonna make you wish that I had. And eventually, what's gonna happen is, is that I'm gonna sabotage that whole relationship to the point of where, you know, you're gonna end it, find someone else, whatever the case may be. And that's just going to be that. And that's just a normal relationship routine for me. And I and I did not realize that until, you know, like two hours ago <laughs> or three hours ago, maybe four, uh, that, that I even do that. And I can so see the pattern when I look back and I'm just like, ugh, I wouldn't be with me either. Like, go on. But again, you know, I have to keep in mind that that was, the, that was me then, broken, damaged, addicted, you know, uh, so many things that I'm not anymore. I'm not saying that I'm not broken and not still damaged. It's not that. It's just that I didn't have any coping skills then. You know, I didn't have any tools in my mental toolbox. And so, um, as crazy as it sounds, and uh, you know, if you're not in therapy or you never have been, then you know you're not gonna get it. But it makes a huge, huge difference if you've got those coping skills. I mean, huge. So. Anyways, that's all I wanted to talk about. Um, I'm going to get back with you a little bit later. Hey, y'all. It's Angela, the blah, blah, blonde. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So, I'm probably a little behind on the time, but I just watched a, a, a news piece or something about whenever Megan Thee Stallion got shot by um, whatever his name is. I forget his name. Um, and they how they turn everybody... The whole world turned her into um, from a victim into the the villain or whatever, and because she was scared to come come forward at first, she was scared of this. Then they started bringing her sexuality and her personal, I mean her stage persona, into everything. And you know, uh, there was talk on there about you know why she didn't just come forward with and report everything exactly how it happened at first and stuff and a psychologist was on there and she was talking about how um how whenever you experience a trauma you know you're you're in shock you're scared and you don't really you're not really thinking logically and so on and so forth and I started thinking about you know why I didn't report any of my abuse my two rapes my two molestations well the first one happened when I was three so I didn't really know any better um second one second molestation happened when I was 10 and I did tell someone I told my grandmother um but you know we were I didn't want to not I didn't want to stop going to my grandparents house so we just made a pact that we weren't going to tell my mom and my mom did find out but not till I was like 14 or 15 and she was livid and I mean livid and um um, and then my two rapes, the first time I was 12, and it was the middle of the night, and, you know, it would have made a big, big scene, because I had snuck out of the house I was staying in, and so on and so forth, and so, 
Um, you know, and he was 18, so I'm pretty sure he took full advantage of knowing the whole situation because he did know the whole situation. Uh, and so, you know, for many, 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 many years, probably decades even, I blamed myself for putting myself in that position. And um, the second time, I was 16, and I had come home from a party drunk, and friends of mine were there to introduce me to some guy. And, uh, and we were in my car talking, and, you know, my friends were in the back seat, and we're all just talking, and then next thing I know, I'm putting my clothes, I wake up and he's putting my clothes back on me, and, you know, and I would say that I might have imagined the whole thing, except for that I ended up pregnant. So, I know that that's what really happened, <laughs> no matter what anybody else said, but, um, and I didn't report it because, you know, I came home from the party drunk, and I should have just went in the house and talked to him, at, you know, in the daytime, you know, at a place besides sitting in my car in front of my house type thing, and, um, but, you know, and also, too, back in the 80s, when all this happened, uh, <clears throat> you know, there was still such a stigma about, um, you, you, if you got raped, basically, they turned it around to end up being your fault, and they still do that. People, you know, the, the, the defense attorneys, the, the, the news media, the social medias, I mean, everything, they always turn it around on the female, and they always have, and I wonder... You know, in talking about women and equality and all that stuff, are we ever going to be able to just report our crimes as truth and not have to be, not be put on trial ourselves for it? You know, because you can't have a shady or checkered or promiscuous past or anything. You, you basically have to be a choir girl or a nun. And even then, it calls, they call you in, this, in, in the question, you know, suspect. It's all suspect because... They're going to inevitably figure out how to put you in the a wrong place and call that your fault. And so, you know, I don't know. I know I have a lot of mixed listeners out there as far as gender goes. But, you know, I mean, I don't really know how we're going to fix that situation. I mean, because it's not only sexism. It's it's basically, you know, it's, it's the old adage of how they keep turning the victim into the villain and it and it doesn't just happen with women and sexual crimes or things of that nature I mean they do that with everyone because it's, especially if the police screw up and they don't want to get in trouble for it but once it makes a big splash they have to cover their asses and say anything well you know this is why we did that or you know this is why we shot Breonna Taylor because you know we thought she was da 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 you know and none of it's true and the whole thing comes down to this, is that, you know, unless you're a white man in the world and you have any kind of power whatsoever, even if you're just a B-cop, that still has power over the, the civilian race or the civilians. But, you know, the only person that can really get anything done fairly to them, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion as a white female... Well, actually, as an white and Indian female, um, Native American, um, you know that you you basically have to be, and you and you have to be a white man of substance. You know, you can't just be uh, a, an ex-con that you know still has issues or anything like. That. You have to be a man of substance, or at least something that gives you some kind of power over others. 
you know, where, where you can afford the high-powered defense attorneys, where you can afford to, you know, pay for things that go your way. And I know that sounds very cynical and very, you know, whatever, one-sided, one-track, whatever, whatever you want to call it, but I know that firsthand. I mean, I've, I've seen it happen. <laughs> I saw it so many times in the prison system, like, you know, white men in power, sergeants, you know, officers or whatever, in, <laughs> engage in a relationship with an inmate, and once that goes south and everybody finds out, then they basically just throw her under the bus, and it doesn't even matter, and, you know, the, the hell of it is, is that this actually happened while I was in prison, um, with a particular sergeant and several of the girls in our dorm, and several other girls in other dorms, you know, but it took all of them collectively to get together to, for, for something to finally happen, and he had, to, he didn't get fired, though, he was, gave, was given the option of resigning, and so, even still, you know, they're still trying to keep him with his dignity. And so, I guess so he could tell his family, well, I just decided to move on to something different, blah, blah, blah. You know, instead of instead of pressing criminal charges, because look, let me tell you this. If two inmates get caught engaging in any type of sexual anything uh, in the program, they get kicked out of the program. If they're not in the program and they're just in prison, then they can get real-world charges as far as, like, you know... Uh, uh, rape charges or, or you know, they'll, they'll figure out some way to trump up something so that you get in more trouble. But this sergeant who was, the, who was running the whole satellite, you know, many days a week, he was fine. He, he would tell, uh, tell the girls that he was having relations with, he would tell them, you know, what kind of trouble they were looking at to get into, you know, with the counselors. I mean, because he knew everything. Everything went through him. They would let them look on the computer, and he would take pictures of them. I mean, you know, just a full-on thing, because, look, he had gotten away with it for so long, and no, none of the other girls ever said anything, because, one, they thought they were special. Two, they got special treatment. Uh, three, they got to know, you know, that they had the inside track with the counselors. And four, because, you know, he made them all kinds of promises. And the promises that he could never keep. But what are they going to do? Who are, they, who are you going to tell? So it took, you know, like a major, major thing to happen. And, and, and here's the other thing. Let me back up. Here's the other thing. He took full advantage of a lot of females that are in a program because they have experienced some type of trauma. Most of the time, it was a sexual trauma. And yet here he is exploiting all of that because he has access to who's the most damaged and, and taking full advantage of that. Now, explain to me how that's going to ever be fair because no one's going to believe the inmate first of all it took like six of them to come forward and it was still so much in question by the the other superior male superiors that they just gave him the chance to resign they didn't ask him any questions they, they just gave him the chance to resign and he did and it's like wait a minute hold on why isn't he facing any charges like, why is this just getting swept on the rug? Why? I mean, he's removed from the situation, sure. But in a manner that was still allowed him to be able to get a job in another prison system, you know. And, and he went around. He was such a big liar. He went around telling everyone, oh, yeah, no, I found a better gig, you know, private security, blah, blah, blah. And that was absolutely, un categorically untrue. Meanwhile, meanwhile... 
the girls that are engaged in all this, I mean, they kind of got in trouble. Like, they got time extended because they needed to work through the trauma. But you're still, you know, your time is still extended. And for what? You, you, because you believed something that someone in power told you or he put you in a position where you had to do whatever he wanted you to do because he had already done favors for you that you didn't ask for. But he could spend it however he wanted to because he was in power. So, look, I don't know about uh, people of color and how they how they go through discrimination with people of power, but I do know that it happens a lot. But, look, make no mistake. Don't get it twisted. It happens to females a lot, a lot. And it doesn't even have to be a male in power. It could be a female in power. It could be anybody in power, anybody that has power over your life and how you live it at that moment. And that, to me, is so manipulative and controlling and narcissistic. And yet, you know, these people are so good at manipulating others. That's how they get into positions of power, because they know how to read a room, you know? And they give the, give you what you want, and they tell you what you want to hear, and until everything is right where they want it to be, and then, you know, then they own you. Like, no, I'm not... So, you know, that's one of my biggest things about being in Mary Kay is that I don't want to have a boss. I don't want to ever let anyone control my life like that ever again. Now, don't get me wrong. My two bosses now are awesome. They, they I couldn't ask to be working for two greater women, women of power, women of substance. If I had, you know, if I would written the, 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 the story myself. However... Am, am always uh, what do you call it protective over myself and my life and, and how I do things because I don't want to ever give anyone power like that over my life I've been through uh, before my daughter died I've been through plenty of trauma as far as men are concerned you know I've had an abusive relationship I've been in a narcissistic controlling relationship I've been you know in a codependent relationship from hell maybe more than once um been, you know, I've been molested, I've been raped, I've been, you know, mentally abused, physically abused, I mean, all because I gave someone power over my life, I'm not doing that anymore, as much as I can help it, I'm not doing that anymore, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting myself into that position, and a long time ago, I learned not to get myself in a position where I couldn't flee on my, of my own accord, or I couldn't, you know, where somebody always knew where I was, and, you know, I always had my own vehicle because I wasn't going to get stuck like that again. Nobody was going to take advantage of me again. And nobody did as far as, like, strangers or adults go or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, but that just set me up for a whole different different kind of betrayal and all that because I started dating, of course. And, and, and you know, I always had a boyfriend uh, and had some kind of power over me because, you know, I'm old-fashioned. I like the guy to be in charge. I like to, you know, I want you opening doors for me. I want you to, uh, I want you to order for me. You know, I like that stuff. I don't know why, but I do. But, but at the same time, I'm still my own person. I'm just, you know, an old soul. But, you know, here's the thing. I shouldn't have to worry about that with someone that I'm supposedly in love with. Someone that supposedly is in love with me. So, you know, you got you just have to be mindful of what's possible so that you can make sure that you take care of yourself 
control of your own life in order to keep a little bit better handle on it. You can't control everything. And, and you know, there, you, it, with everything, it, just like with everything else, it's always about a balance. But, I mean, you have to be aware that the predators sometimes, you know, are looking and stare, staring you right in the face and telling you that they love you. You know, like the devil doesn't come dressed in, in red horns and a pointed tail and a pitchfork. He comes dressed as everything you ever wanted, and you have to be able to decide and know the difference. And a lot of that comes with prayer. A lot of that comes with experience. And a lot of that comes with just being able to be your own person. If you're already your own person, you have your own life set, and someone you intermingle someone into it, as long as you keep your own life and you just make them a part of it and they do the same for you, then, you know, you, you shouldn't ever, you shouldn't ever wrap your whole life into somebody else. Because nobody wants that. Like, I mean, I would want to date someone that ha already has a life, you know, like I don't have to, I don't have to worry about entertaining him every single day or being with him every single day because I have my own things to do and he's not going to complain about that because he has his own things to do, if that makes sense. I mean, it's real simple. You just have to take care of yourself. You know, you have to be able to, to provide for yourself financially, emotionally, physically, you know, whatever. And that, and because look, a, a significant other should not be your life. They should add to your life. And I know y'all are saying, oh, that's easy for you to say you're not in a relationship. But look, I have looked at all of the things in the past. And, and the one thing that always rings true is that... You know, nobody wants someone that clings to them because they, and, and takes over because they don't have their own life, so they want to live yours. You know, if you've got your own friends, if you've got your own, you know, nights of the week that you do things, you know, like a, like, like a Mary Kay meeting, like a bowling league, like, you know, you meet with your girlfriends once a month, you know, things like that. You have things that you're doing that don't include anybody that you're in a relationship with, any romantic relationship. You know, so, I mean, that way, if things don't work out, you still have your life intact. You still have things that you can do. You still have a, the, the part of you that is independent, that is strong, and that doesn't, doesn't need anybody to make their life better. You just prefer to have someone with you, but you don't have to have them, you know? Like, anyways, I didn't mean to get all soapboxy. I really had other things to talk about, but I'm almost at work now, so... Um, so yeah, so just, just something to think about, you know, um, we need to figure out a way to really get equality in this world, but I, I feel like that as long as there's racism, sexism, ageism, and all that stuff, that it's never going to be the same unless, you know, you're already an established and reputable and, you know, powerful white man, and I know that sounds terrible for me to say that, but it is what it is, people, you know, there's not really, it's not really me saying that that's the case and me making that up that really is what's happening in america and it's sad and it's pathetic that after all these years this is still what's happening and you know and i get it i mean i get it i don't like it but i get it and it's sad that we have to play take these rules into consideration and play the part in order to you know get along and and be able to do life so, anyways, I'll talk to y'all again soon. I hope y'all have a great day. I love you for listening. Hey, y'all, this is Angela the Blah Blah Blonde. Just trying to um, 
read something to you. So y'all know I've been, I got Prince Harry's book, but I also have been listening to the audio, and that's kind of what I've been waiting for, um, was the audio book that I could rent or borrow, whatever, from the library. And so, um, anyway, so I'm at the part where, uh, part three, where he's met Megan, and, and um, he has kind of an episode or whatever, so she recommends therapy for him. And so his first therapy session, it, it kind of resonated with me a little bit um, because he's talking about his mom, but I really feel like I, this could be true for my mom and my daughter both, actually. Um, so let me just read an excerpt from it, from Prince Harry's book, Spare. And he's talking to his therapist and he says, she waited for me to begin, but I didn't know where to begin. So I began with my mom. I said I was afraid of losing her. She gave me a long, searching look. She knew, of course, that I'd already lost my mom. How surreal to meet a therapist who already knows part of your life story, who's possibly spent beach holidays reading whole books about you. Yes, I've already lost my mom, of course, but I'm afraid that by talking about her now, here, to a perfect stranger, and perhaps alleviating some of the pain of that loss, I'll be losing her again. I'll be losing that feeling, that presence of her, or what I've always felt as her presence. The therapist squinted. I tried again. You see, the pain, if that's what it is, that's all I have left of her. And the pain is also what drives me. Some days, the pain is the only thing holding me together. And also, I suppose without the pain, well, she might think I've forgotten her. That sounded silly, but well, there it was. Most memories of my mother, I explained with sudden and overwhelming sorrow, were gone. On the other side of the wall, I told her about the wall. Or, <clears throat> sorry, on the other side of the wall. <clears throat> I told her about the wall. I told her I'd spoken to Willie about my lack of memories of our mother. He'd advised me to look through photo albums, which I'd promptly done. Nothing. So my mother wasn't images or impressions. She was mainly just a hole in my heart. And if I healed that hole, patched it up, what then? I asked if all this sounded crazy. No. <clears throat> we were silent. A long time. She asked me what I needed. Why are you here? Look, I said, what I need is to be rid, rid of this heaviness in my chest. I need, I need, yes, to cry. Please help me cry. Um... <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry. So I don't have any problems crying, per se. But the rest of it I feel very, 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 very familiar and same with. Like, some days I feel like I'm the only one that remembers these people. I know that's probably absolutely categorically not true. But sometimes it feels like I'm the only one and that I'm struggling with the memories that, I, that I'm losing as each day goes by. Um, that I'm struggling with what is a healthy amount or a healthy way to hold on to that which causes me such great pain that sometimes I don't want to even think about it. With Taylor, some days it's better just to pretend like she was never here. And I know that sounds really cold and really harsh, but sometimes the pain is so, so deep and so horrific that I just want it to go away, if only for a few hours. <clears throat> and then there's other days whenever I pretend like she's still here. 
so that I don't have to experience that loss, you know, because sometimes I can't forget that she was ever here, and I don't want to most of the time, but on those days whenever I want to and I can't, then I just simply think she's, okay, she's abroad, so I can't really talk to her right now. She's, you know, doing something, so I can't talk to her right now, but she's still here. She's just unavailable at this moment. And I know y'all are thinking that I must be crazy. I mean, I'm sure you've thought that through this whole podcast from beginning to now. But, and maybe I am. But, you know, like I say, whatever I can do to get through that moment is what I have to do. And, 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 and sometimes it's not pretty. And sometimes it's not right. And sometimes it's ugly crying and, and just deep chest heaving sobs that I can't control and sometimes it's just a single tear or two you know <clears throat> and then I move on with my day I never know I never know how it's gonna go I never know what it's gonna be I never know when it's gonna hit um this is just my new normal you know and so I don't know if any of you can relate to that I know you've experienced loss I'm sure that you have everyone has so, you know, does it feel the same way for you? I mean, mine is mostly about my daughter, but sometimes it's about my mother too and my brother and just everyone that I've lost, but it's mostly about Taylor. Um, and my mom too, because I feel like that, you know, and my brother, because the, their losses have been experienced so long ago. Like my brother has been dead longer than he was alive. Um, my mom's been gone almost 23 years. My brother's been gone since 86, so let's see. So, a little over 30 years he's been gone. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know how to explain it beyond that. But losing Taylor is completely different from all of that. And I guess y'all probably already know that. So, anyways, I just wanted to share that with y'all. I'll talk to you again soon. Hey, everybody. It's Blah Blah Blonde. Um, <clears throat> I'm on my way to work. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, my allergies are really, really bad. I know I say that all the time, but this time it seems like they're a little bit worse than they usually are. Um, definitely something sign is going on. But, anyways, um, so two things I want to cover with you real quick um, while I'm driving is... So I finally finished Spare, the audiobook by Prince Harry, and one for one, if you want, if you're interested in re in reading that, I strongly suggest the audiobook because it's so perfect in his from in <clears throat> in his own words with his own voice and his perspective. I mean, I read part of it, just read it uh, like a normal regular book, and it was fine, but it was so much better whenever he was reading it to us, you know. So. Um, the other thing I want to talk about was, so there's three parts, or no, still the first thing. There's three parts to his book. And although parts one and part two were very, very interesting and, excuse me, I have the hiccup, informative and all that, um, uh, I couldn't wait to get to part three where he finally meets Megan. And, oh my gosh, that's my favorite part of the book because, but it's so... The Commonwealth did, treated her so badly. I mean, so badly. And that includes the monarchy, too. 
Um, I mean, they treated him kind of, they gave him a raw, raw shake too, but oh my gosh, she at one point was going to kill herself because of so many people that said they hated her. There was death threats. There were racial this and that. I mean, um, I mean, and really, really ugly, ugly things. And I, so I don't blame them for doing what they did. She lost a baby in between the two babies that she has, um, from all the stress of all that paparazzi and all the, just the, the media and social media and stuff like that. And, um, I mean, it was just a lot. And so, but, but there was also a lot of, a lot of coming together as a couple and, and I mean, they are absolutely categorically perfect for each other. I mean, so much so. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful love story filled with tragedy and tragic things and, and, and tests for, for, you know, long-term longevity and and not necessarily tests as far as like between them, but just tests from life. And I mean, it's just a beautiful love story. And I love both of them even more than I originally started out loving them. Those are my Royals. Those are the ones that I follow if I can. And so, um, the other thing that I wanted to tell y'all was, okay, so I turned in my application for my empowerment grant for the second year in a row, but I also have had applied for, um, um, uh, 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 to volunteer, um, at, uh, the place where I go to get therapy. And so, um, that's what I've been waiting to kind of hear back from. And I heard back and I got approved. And so now I get to, uh, get to go and start my training and all that stuff. And I'm just super excited about all of that. And so I just wanted to share that with y'all and, and let you know, just to stay, 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 I'll keep you posted, stay close and all that. And, um, and, and it's, I'm sure it's going to be a great adventure. I'm so excited because my mentor is basically wanted me to do the volunteer thing to see if that's for sure what I wanted to do with my, when I grow up was be a peer support counselor, you know, because I mean, there's no point in getting a job doing it if you end up hating that job. And so, so I'm just really excited to be a part of all of this and, and, you know, and try to make a difference however I can. That's that's my main focus now in life, no matter what I'm dealing with, no matter what I'm facing, no matter what I'm doing. I just want to be able to make a difference, whether it be with my Mary Kay business and, you know, make give someone some self-esteem boost that they desperately need or the opportunity to do what I do. Um, and, you know, kind of become their own boss. And then and also, you know, I kind of see this volunteership if it turns into a career, it's not going to be because I have to work. It's going to because be because I want to be there, you know, and that's and, and I know that sounds maybe kind of a, like a, an excuse or put off or uh, or even, you know, that I might be lazy or. But I can tell you that the reason why I've changed jobs so much is because I'm trying to find I'm not trying to find a job. I'm trying to find a career. And it, it, if it takes this volunteership to get me there, then I'm tickled pink about that. Um but also because, you know, I, I don't want I don't want to do a job that feels like work, which and then right now, the, the, the stuff that I do for both of the, my director and my national director doesn't feel like work either. But I'm learning so much. And, you know, I love to learn. I'm a nerd. And so, you know, there's that. Um, I'm sorry, I'm talking fast. I'm so excited. Um, of course, everyone says I always talk fast, but um I don't know. I'm just super excited about all the new things coming up. I just, and as far as Mary Kay goes, we're, I mean, I got chosen to be in this elite dream team for six weeks of really intense, uh, 
train extra training and goals and challenges and so my power partner and I just got off the phone and she's awesome she is so awesome I met her at conference and she she lives in El Paso area but she's going to be up here for a seminar and it's going to be so fun I'm so excited but she and I just clicked from from jump I mean just from the word go we just clicked and so you know I just I'm happy that she's my power partner because we love to chat with each other and encourage each other and we're just Mary Kay sisters all the way. So if you don't have that, I strongly encourage you to seek that out however you can. Um, I found such a sisterhood in Mary Kay that, and it's not saying that boys can't join because they can, uh, but such a family. Let me say, I found such a great family in Mary Kay that I, I don't, I will never go back to not having them in my life. Like never, because this has made the whole thing worthwhile and the whole thing fun. And I have, you know, I'm booked a lot. I'm doing things. I'm meeting people and I'm talking with folks and I'm, you know, enriching women's lives and, and sometimes men's. And, you know, I'm just, like I said, everything that I do from the day that I got clean and sober forward was, I just want to help people. I've always just wanted to help people, but now that's my main focus instead of my addiction. And so, you know, I'm just really excited about that. Also, I have a number for an assistant district attorney, so I can try to call and get the information about Daniel's judge so I can get a letter into him or her and, and see about getting him some rehab before he, before they make a decision. So, um, anyways, that's all I'm doing today, and I'm about to go to work, and um, I will talk to you again soon. Bye.